Hey, I'm Elijah, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are continuing in our Reach, Gather, Grow series every year. Actually, twice a year we do this. We do it in September, and we do it in January, just to remind us of who we are and why we do what we do. And for us at Lake Orion, most of us, or many of us, have been here only a couple, a couple of years, and we've only been hearing this a couple of years. At some of our locations, they've heard it for 10 years. And people go, why do we do it twice a year? Because, and I've said it last week, I'm going to say it every week, and I'll say it next week, vision leaks. If we don't talk about it, we forget why we do what we do. And the why is so important. The why behind what we do is so important. And we could say, it's Jesus. If we wanted to, as though Jesus is the answer to everything. And we wouldn't be wrong in that. But in reality, there's an even more specific reason within God's word why we do what we do. And so we want to reach the lost, gather the saints, and grow together in Christ. And if you notice, if we can get that circle up on the screen behind me, if you notice, it's a circle for a reason, because we want to reach the lost, then when we reach, we gather together, and then when we gather, we start growing together, and once you're growing, you're going to help reach other people. It's a process. It continues on and on and on. And I didn't have room, and I didn't, have, I didn't want to have chairs up here every single Sunday, but I talked about the different chairs that, that we have in, in, in a discipleship process that I've used for many, many different years. So if you can picture four chairs on the stage, the idea of four chairs, and you're sitting in one of those chairs. And chair number one is the chair of the unbeliever or the lost person, somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And what they need most is they need to be reached for the gospel. We talked about this last week. John 1.39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And people that don't know Jesus need to come and see who he is. And they need help in seeing who he is. And they, they can look at our lives and we preach the gospel. We take the name of Jesus everywhere we go. And so if, if somebody doesn't know Jesus, they're in that first chair, chair number one. And again, I want to say it, we talk about somebody being a lost person. The reality is well, that's not a derogatory term at all. Because if something is lost, that means there's value to it. That means it's cared for. Again, if you lose, say you lose, ladies, if you lost your wedding ring, what are you going to do? You're going to do everything you can. You're going to tear that house apart, all the while crying most of the time, probably, right? It's, why are you doing that? You call it lost. Why? Because it has such value to you. And the reality is every single heart, every single soul has such value to God. And Jesus came, he came to seek and save the lost, people that don't know him. That's why he came. So that, if you don't know Jesus, that's the chair you're in. And you need to come and see and be, 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 and we need to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. That takes you into the second chair, which is the chair of the believer. And the believer is somebody who's honestly has come to know Jesus and believes, but hasn't moved much past that. And the, and the believer needs to learn how to follow me, and they need to learn what it means to gather together and keep gathering together. John 1.43 says, Jesus said the next day, or the next day Jesus, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. They need to learn how to follow Jesus. 
We need to learn how to follow Jesus. The reality is the majority of the church remains in chair two. And I'm talking the universal church. The majority of us have decided to believe and we're still learning to follow. And we're still learning to follow because in reality, we're following so many other things other than Jesus. And we have to continue to learn how to follow him. And so if you believe, you're at least in chair number two. But in order to get to chair number three, you have to gather and learn what it means to get into chair number three, which is the chair of the worker. These are people that are now working for the cause of Jesus Christ. And while working in the nursery, working on, you know, singing and being in tech and all the things that the church does is important, what we're specifically talking about here goes even greater and deeper into that. When we're a worker for Jesus, we're now in the harvest field actually learning how to fish for people. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, when we learn how to follow him, we become fishers of people. We actually have to tell other people about who he is. And so for the person that's beginning to tell other people about who Jesus is, desiring to let people know that's a person that is a worker, that's a person that moves into working. And then the fourth chair is the chair of the disciple maker. Once you really began telling people who Jesus is, now you begin to help other people see who he is. And John 15, 16, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. See, when you're in chair four, now you're bearing much fruit for the kingdom of God. You're helping other people see who, not only who Jesus is, but you're helping them grow in their relationship with the Lord. You are a disciple who has become a disciple maker. And that is a passion for us at the river is we want to make disciples, which are followers of Jesus, that also make other disciples. Because my friends, it is not just the pastor's job to do what I'm talking about. The chair number four is not just a pastor or somebody on staff. That's where they sit. That is where all of us need to grow into because we all need to make disciples. We are all called to make disciples. I've often heard people say this, well, I haven't been given the gift of evangelism. In other words, going and telling others about who Jesus is. That's okay. Not everybody has been given a gift to specifically go out and evangelize, but all of us have been called to carry the name of Jesus everywhere we go and proclaim his name everywhere we go. All right. That was last Sunday, though, so I don't want to re-preach that message. If you want to hear about that, go back on our, on our app, and you can see what we talked about last week in Reach. But again, today we are moving into our second phase, which is gathering. So many people often get confused when they call into our church, and they're like, and ask about our service times. They can't find them on the website because they're not called service times. We don't call this a service at the river. Other times I'm talking to somebody and I'm like, this is our gathering time and, and they aren't sure what I'm talking about and then they ask when we have a service. Um, so if you didn't know this again, we don't call this time a service, we call it our gathering. In fact, all of our meetings are gatherings, except maybe our growth communities, but that's next week, I'll be talking about that next week and we'll get into that then. But we call our meetings gatherings on purpose and I know it's a different term and yes, there's times I call them services or Garces or surratherings. I mean, it's like I catch myself in the middle of saying a service. I did that for a long time. But there's a reason why we call it a gathering, and I think it's really important to understand it. The first reason is because we're gathering together the saints. It's part of our vision. 
We gather together the saints. We come together for so many reasons, uh, those reasons we're going to talk about today. But the second is that it better represents what we're actually doing here this morning. Because if we call it a service, it's really easy for you to get, come on a Sunday morning and go, I'm here for people to serve me. Right? It's really easy to just sit here and go, oh, I'm here to listen to some nice music and here to not sleep through the pastor's message. You know, stuff like that. I'm here to, here to receive all the time. That's what the church is about. I'm here to receive. No, we're here to gather together, to worship God together, to raise our voice together, to learn together, to serve one another. You being a part of the church is not about you. It isn't. It's about him. And it's about learning how to serve together with people you might never, ever serve with Otherwise, and we're going to talk more about that today as well. It's a big difference between a service and a gathering when you really think about what the words mean. But today, we're going to be putting on our church clothes. All right? I don't know how many of you have grown grew up in a church where there was a certain, a certain thing you had to wear every single week. And for me, it was always a tie. Blech. I was joking with somebody last night. The only time I wear a suit now is when I do a wedding or a funeral, all right? Uh, that's when you see me in a suit, right? Um, and, but I grew up in a church where if you didn't wear a suit on a Sunday, man, you were looked down on. How many of you grew up that way? Can I get a witness in the, in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, there we go. You know, it happened that way. And, and man, I, I was in I was, my first church. It was my home church, and I grew... I owe a lot of who I am because of that church. It wasn't perfect, but it taught me a lot too. But, you know, if I didn't, I, I was 20 years old. I was a youth pastor and I had to wear a suit every single Sunday. There was no question. There was no question. Let's be honest. In my first about, I'm going to say about 10 years here, um, when we were used to be Ginsville, um, I had to wear a button-up, which I do still, but now I wear T-shirts that I could not wear denim. There was no denim for the staff. So now at the river, man, we got guys that wear, you know, holy jeans, not holy spirit, but holy jeans, you know. So, I mean, but we had to have this decorum about church, right? You had to give your Sunday best. And I understand the reasoning behind it in that, you know, if you love the Lord, you want to give him your best. I understand that. I do. But I'll always remember something that happened in my home church that really changed the way I think about things. Um, there was this guy that came in, he was in jeans and a, and a, a, I think it was a Niner jersey, um, and as I was in California. And he looked ruddy, he sat down, and I could tell that my pastor wasn't too, all too pleased with him. And um, about halfway through the message, I think the guy was just getting up to go to the bathroom. He got up, started walking out, and he says, Son, you need to sit down and hear this. You can't leave right now in front of everybody. I went, whoa. Don't you worry. I'm not doing that to any of you this morning. All right? But it really changed how I viewed a lot of things. I, I felt for that guy. Needless to say, he never came back to our church. And, and sometimes when we put so much into the external appearance, not sometimes, if all we put in is to the external appearance, a couple things happen. We can leave people out as though they don't belong. 
But we also only see what's on the outside. And somebody can look really great on the outside and be completely dead on the inside. But Jesus, what, did he, what, what does God tell us? That God doesn't look on the outside. Where to parents? Where does he look? He looks on the heart. And so the kind of clothes we're talking about this morning is not stuff on the outside, but what's going to be happening on the inside. Truly, you can come as you are here at the River Church. We don't, we don't, we don't care. We are just so happy you're here. You know? Come as you are, truly. In fact, there's a t-shirt out there that I've seen many times. It's a t-shirt that's just a t-shirt that says, these are my church clothes. I would love to buy that shirt. I would absolutely love to buy that shirt. Um, but these are the type of church clothes that, are gonna, that we need to put on inside. And the only way to really do this is within the community of the body of Christ. So let's turn to Colossians. That's where we uh, are in this, in this particular study of Reach, Gather, Grow. Colossians chapter 3 is where I'll be this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your devices, get there. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can download the River Church app. It's got the Bible in it as well as links to all of our events, and you can register for stuff. And our devotional books rest in the app as well. So um, all kinds of opportunities for you to be able to connect with the church as well as be able to read God's Word this morning together with us as we study it today. So as I thought about this, and as I studied this particular passage, starting in verse 11, it was like, who is it that gathers? When we come together as a church, who is it that gathers? Really, it's anyone and everyone. Anyone can gather. You don't even have to know Jesus this morning to gather with the body of Christ. You are welcome. If you don't know Jesus, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're just asking a question. It takes guts to come to a new church. It really does. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. I don't care if this is your first time coming in the doors of the church. If you're surprised the church is still standing because you're here, hey, I'm here too, and it stood up for a while. So the reality is that's the way it goes. I also want you to know this. One of the biggest criticisms of the church is that we're all hypocrites. And you know what? You're right. Every single one of us is a hypocrite. I'm glad you joined us this morning, too, because all of us are hypocrites. That's the reality. We believe one thing, we live another because we're trying to become more like Jesus. That's the whole point of this, is that every single one of us in this room is a broken person. We're all broken in different ways. But we serve a God who sees through our brokenness and sees who he made us to be and who he wants us to become again. Because God is, our God is in the God of resurrection, or is in the business of resurrection. So I'm glad you're here today if you don't know Jesus today. Anybody can gather. And I'm going to have to get a drink of water because my voice is going weird. I apologize. Thank you. Um, Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 says this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So there is no Greek or Jew. What is Paul saying here? When it comes to those that know Jesus, the body of Christ, the gospel is available to everyone. See, there were some people in Colossae, actually in the church, early church period, who were Jews and felt like anybody who came to Jesus had to also become Jewish. They also had to follow all the Jewish law. And Paul was saying, no, the gospel is available to everyone. Yes, even those who are the Greeks. We could fill in just about any class of people that we don't want to, that we don't necessarily like there. That's what Paul is saying. The gospel is available to everyone. All can come to Jesus by believing in that, that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did. Then he says there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. I'm going to say this morning again, if you don't know what that means, talk to your parents. 
If you're over 18 and you don't know what that means, I'm not sure what to tell you, all right? But the reality is, is that what Paul is talking about here is that there is no longer an outward physical representation of belonging to God necessary anymore. It's not necessary. What is necessary is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us be through Jesus Christ. He's saying it's totally different. It's now an inward circumcision. And he says there's no barbarian or Scythian. This is pretty simple. I'm going to say it's pretty simple. I think it's pretty simple, but a lot of theologians debate about what this actually means. I believe it to be really about race. It's about different races of people. Everyone is welcome at the cross. No one is to be left out because God calls to everyone to be saved. There is no differences in race. And finally, no slave or free. It didn't matter your station in life, your socioeconomic background. You are part of the body of Christ because you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, period. That's how God works. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you make or don't make. It doesn't matter what your job is, what your career is. If you know Jesus, you're part of the body of Christ, period. All are welcome because it's all about Jesus, The church is all about Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's why we gather. We gather together to worship. We gather together to experience who God is and what he does in the midst of us together. It's why we gather. It's something that happens. You know, there is really something that happens when we gather as the body of Christ. There really, really is. It's one of the things why I believe COVID was so hard for the church because there's something about when we get together to worship the Lord. Now, if you get to know me at all at any period of time, you're going to understand that I'm a rabid sports fan. You know it. You know, I see a Lions shirt. You know, we're all happy about the Lions right now. Uh, I, I can be happy with you as well. However, I am originally from California, though we've lived here almost 20 years. Um, and I have raised my children in the way that they should go. They are also 49er and Kings fans. Um, but <clears throat> the reality is, is that, um, I'll tell you, when I watch a game in my living room, that's great. I mean, I get loud, the dog barks, my girls get excited sometimes and sometimes scared, all right? In fact, I'll always remember there was one of the times the 49ers went to the Super Bowl back, I'm going to say 2010-ish. The Niners had just scored a touchdown and my, I think, I'm going to say three-year-old or so, Kylie, comes in the room and right when they scored, I'm like, yeah! And Kylie comes in and goes, I just started crying. I'm like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm like, holding the baby and like going going nuts, right? Um, So that's all fun. But I'll tell you what. When I've got to go to the Golden One Center in Sacramento, the few times I've gotten to go, and see the Sacramento Kings play and be with my fellow Kings freaks, it's a totally different experience. I mean, it's a lot different than when I'm around a bunch of Lions fans trying to root for the Niners, and you're like, I don't care. (laughs) Right? But what's different? Everyone is gathering together for the sole purpose of worshiping their sports team. We could extend that to concerts. Everyone gathered together to worship Taylor Swift. I'm not saying that's, okay, just because you don't like Taylor doesn't mean you get to be back there and, 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 be, and be upset about it. No, everybody's got their thing, 
all right? But the reality is this. It is a worship event. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying, oh, pastors say it, I worship, so I can't go to, no, that's not what I'm saying. I will say your worship for Jesus should be louder. Right? Because we have been made to worship. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What should it be like as we gather together to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Should it be loud? Should it be raucous? Should it be reverent? Should we stand in awe? Should we shout in victory? Should we applaud what we've seen our God do in our lives? Should there be a hush of absolute amazement? To that I say yes, yes, yes. It should be. And we should look forward to it. Because we get to gather together with people that love Jesus and worship our Lord together. Oh, it's a true privilege and honor we have to be able to do that. And it's not going to cost you $50 a seat. Then Paul gets to our church close. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. How are we described here? He, Paul says we are God's chosen ones. My friends, if you know Jesus this morning, you have been chosen by God. You have been adopted into the family of God. That's the terminology that the Bible uses about our belonging in the family of God. We weren't born into it. We were adopted. And let me tell you something. If you're a child that's been adopted into a family, you have experienced love on a level that you have not experienced before because somebody who doesn't have any reason to love you, any reason to invite you into their family says, I choose you and I have made you my own. And for a kid that had their parents abandon them or die or whatever that looks like, when a family does that, it changes that life. Amen. And that is what God does for us. He has adopted us. We are God's chosen people, if you know Jesus this morning. He has chosen you. You are our family. You are accepted. I love this. Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8, God is speak, or, um, uh, Moses is speaking about God. And he says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people, talking to the Israelites, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Don't forget it and don't downplay it. It can become just old hat and go, yeah, God loves me. No, the creator of the universe has set his love on you. That is so much better to cheer about than a touchdown or a three-pointer at the buzzer or a goal in soccer that my team won the game yesterday for. It's so much better. God loves you. That should get our blood going. And motivate us in the body of Christ. But then what does he say next? He said, we're holy. 
Really? We're holy? That means we're set apart for him. If you know Jesus, you are holy before the Lord because the blood of Jesus has paid for your sin and covered you. And now when the Father looks at you, who does he see? He sees Jesus. He doesn't see all the stuff that you know you do wrong. He sees Jesus. We're no longer identified by our sin. We're identified by our Savior. That's a huge difference. Because what does the enemy want to do? He wants to remind you of how terrible a person you are. And let me tell you, every single one of us in this room ain't great. I'm a terrible person on the inside. Man, if I didn't know Jesus, it'd be, I'd be a totally different person. It's only him that there's any goodness in me or any one of us. But when God sees us, he doesn't see our past. He sees Jesus. He didn't see how you messed up last night. He sees Jesus. Does that mean he is blind to it? No, because the Holy Spirit's with you and he wants to make you more like Jesus. But remember, he comes to you in conviction, not in guilt. He comes to help you see who he wants you to be, who he's making you into. And then he says, you're beloved. Even deeper. It says you are dearly loved. You are God's beloved Jesus gave his life for you. It's one of the reasons why I say at the end of every gathering, you are loved. I truly mean it from the bottom of my heart because we have to be reminded of that. That's why we gather because we go every week and things hit us and we do stupid stuff and people hurt us and things come that we didn't anticipate and we get our eyes off of the one who matters most. And we need to be reminded that we're loved. We need to be reminded that even though it hurts, God is with us every step of the way. We need to be reminded that maybe we won this week, maybe we won the week, but we need to be reminded that God's the one who gave us the ability to do that, to keep us focused on who he is. Then he goes into the clothes we wear that we put on. If you notice these things that Paul said, compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, these are not things we can do on our own. We have to have somebody else around us to be able to actually put these things on because they're all relational. It's how we move from chair two to chair three that I talked about earlier, to go from a believer to a worker. It's how we stop being a person that believes in Jesus for ourselves and it helps us to serve others and love them as Jesus would, putting them first. So we do this together with compassionate hearts. The King James actually translates that compassionate hearts as the bowels of mercy. Great picture, huh? The bowels of mercy. But it's because the Greek here is speaking of a mercy that's coming from the innermost parts of a person. Mercy flows from you because you've experienced the mercy of God said it before, I'll say it again today. If we think our sin isn't a big deal, the cross isn't a big deal, and God's mercy is small. But if we recognize that our sin put Jesus on the cross, and we realize his sin covers it all, his mercy is huge and will cover the gravest of offenses. See, this is a kind of compassion that's lived in everyday life. It's something that comes from deep inside you. And I think sometimes we can read the Bible in a very sterile mindset. We got to remember that the Bible, Paul was writing to Colossae, the Bible during this time, the times the Bible was written, it was ruthless. People that were mentally ill were outcasted. People that were sick were kicked out of families. It was ruthless. And the Christians were known for their love. 
They were known for their compassion and bringing people together. We come together all the time to learn how to have a deep compassion for those around us when we are treated poorly. We can have that same compassion on others because we recognize the compassion that God has given to us. And the idea of kindness, it's treating people with respect and care. It's a lovely quality. Normally, we, we are harsh with people around us. I'm amazed at the first thought that pops into my head sometime when somebody ticks me off. You know, I want to give them a piece of my mind. Especially when they're a Seahawks fan. But the reality is, is things come into your mind. I don't, I've been surprised. I've been surprised many times. I'm like, man, where'd that thought come from? That wasn't, I would not want to do that. But kindness is learning how to make yourself, not make yourself, but to put yourself in a position to love people better and to treat them as you'd want to be treated with respect and care. It's loving others even when it's inconvenient. That's the difficulty. Kindness is loving others even when it's inconvenient. And we are all about convenience. Humility, I love this. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that he says, humility is not thinking of yourself, thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. See, a lot of times we think humility is, oh, I'm not that great a person. I'm just, you know, I just, I'm, just, I'm just here. I'm gonna be quiet. I'm gonna be, that's not humility. You can have confidence in who God's made you, but you're gonna use your talents and your abilities to serve other people. That's humility. That's humility. It's an absence of self-exaltation. You know who God is and you know who you are. And you seek the kingdom of God and not your own. That's humility. And then finally, meekness, or sorry, almost finally, meekness. It's controlled strength. The Greeks would have never, ever wanted to be meek because they had to be strong and assert their dominance. This is totally counterculture. Meekness is that you are always in control of your actions And you point people to Jesus first. And you love them first. It's really giving control to God. And then finally, patience. I'm going to remind you again. Don't ever pray for patience. Because you will be given opportunities to learn it. Okay? Ask God to give you strength in situations, right? (laughs) You know, you pray for patience, God knows. Okay, here you go. That annoying person's calling right now. Okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah. I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course. Of course, we can ask God to help us with patience. But it's, but it's a deeper thought here. It's that it's long-suffering in the middle of injury. When someone hurts you, you're patient with them. Despite your circumstances or your struggles, your life is based upon the Lord. How are we going to learn any of this on our own, isolated, apart from anybody else? There's no way. There's no way to do it alone. And yet so often all we do is we do everything else but gather together with the saints. My friends, if you're a follower of Christ, you are going to gather with the saints. There is no other way to walk with the Lord. You can't do it alone. You just can't. We need help to see when we're not being Jesus in our lives. It's a huge reason why we gather. Colossians 3.13 next says this. Bearing with one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Really, God, do I have to? Yes, we have to. But we don't do this apart from a community that's striving to be like Jesus. There is no way to, be, to live the gospel in the world around us and carry the gospel in our lives every day if we are not reminded of it consistently by our friends, brothers, and sisters in the body of Christ. It's just not possible. You bear with one another. In the church, we have a unique opportunity to bear with one another in love. Because in reality, you're not going to get along with everybody in the church. You're just not. In fact, some of you here are like, you know, Josh, I don't mind listening to you, but you're kind of a jerk sometimes. You're probably not wrong. I mean, that, that's just reality. I, I've, I'm sure I've disappointed many of you here. Because I'm a sinner too. I'm broken just like you are. You're not going to get along with everybody. I can't be everybody's friend. Our personalities might not match up. But that's the beauty of the diversity of the church. Is that it's not about me. It's not about the leaders of the church. We need our leaders to help us move forward. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the goal is not you getting to know me. The goal is you getting to know Jesus. The goal is you getting to know somebody in the church that you can connect with and find your community with. I'm nobody super special. God's just talented me in different ways he's talented you. He's called you to your job just like he's called me to mine. It's just different, different ways of working out the kingdom of God. But the reality is, is we need each other and we bear with one another. And so when there's that annoying person that annoys you in the church, what do you do? You love them. You love them. You have an opportunity to bear with one another. When somebody hurts you, what do you do? You bear with one another. Uh-oh, I just saw some, some wives and husbands going, yeah, that's you. Um, but in reality, the, <laughs> in reality, it's just, we learn that in marriage. We learn that in any relationship we have, how to bear with one another. It's so important. It's so important. Because we're going to hurt one another. When we live in community, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other. We're going to not meet each other's expectations. We may even act selfishly toward each other. How do we learn how to grow in Christ? We bear with one another. And when we do hurt each other, we learn how to forgive. How? As God forgave us. That's a key qualifier. Because how Jesus forgave you was freely and completely. We've got to learn that. That's not something that comes naturally. Especially in our culture, we're taught to get our pound of flesh. We're taught to be vengeful. But that's not what a person of Christ does. We learn how to bear with one another. There's a man by the name of John Perkins. He was arrested as a black man in a Mississippi jail. Being and he was beaten in this jail, being repeatedly kicked and stomped on as he lay in a fetal position for protection. The beating went on and on as he writhed in a pool of his own blood while inebriated officers took turns using their feet and blackjacks. At one point, an officer took an unloaded pistol, put it to Perkins' head, and he pulled the trigger. Then another bigger man beat him until he was unconscious. As the night wore on, it got worse. During a conscious period, one officer pushed a fork down his throat. It was barbarous torture, a great substantive reason to hate. But this is what happened, as John Perkins tells it. The Spirit of God worked on me as I lay in that bed. 
An image formed in my mind. The image of the cross. Christ on the cross. It blotted out everything else in my mind. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. He understood and he cared because he had experienced it all himself. This Jesus, this one who had brought good news directly from heaven, had lived what he preached, yet he was falsely accused and arrested. Like me, he went through an unjust trial. He also faced a lynch mob and and got beaten. But even more than that, he was nailed to to rough wooden planks and killed, killed like a common criminal. At the crucial moment, it seemed to Jesus that even God himself had deserted him. The suffering was so great, he cried out in agony. He was dying. But when he looked at that mob who had lynched him, he didn't hate them. He loved them. He forgave them. And he prayed God to forgive them. Father, forgive these people for they don't know what they're doing. His enemies hated. But Jesus forgave. I couldn't get away from that. It's a profound, mysterious truth. Jesus' concept of love overpowering hate. I may not see victory in my lifetime, but I know it's true. I know it's true because it happened to me. On that bed full of bruises and stitches, God made it true in me. He washed my hatred away and replaced it with a love for the white man in rural Mississippi. I felt strong again, stronger than ever. What doesn't destroy me makes me stronger. I know it's true because it happened to me. Can you even come close to imagine that? Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other as the Lord forgave us. Because Jesus didn't just forgive us because we lied. He forgave us because that lie put him on the cross. And he loves you still. That's how we bear with one another. Colossians 3.14 says this. Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the piece of clothing that pulls it all together. It's, what, it's the core. It's the pop of color you put on that everyone notice first. It's the drip that draws people to you. It's love. It's love. What did Jesus say about his disciples and how they'd be known? John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, it binds, us all, it binds us all together in perfect harmony, perfect unity. Have you ever heard someone sing in harmony with another person that's just so good that it just gives you a stinky face? Oh, wow. Have you, have you ever had that? I have. I have. It's just an awesome thing. Have you ever had someone love so well that it just gives you a whew, stinky face? Maybe not, but maybe it should. Maybe we see somebody love so well. You're like, wow. That blows my mind. That should be our definition. Because my friends, the rocks are crying out in the world around us. The Bible tells us that if we stop praising him, if we stop living for him, the rocks themselves will cry out. And every evening on the evening news, on YouTube, on CNN, on Fox News, the rocks are crying out, acting as though they understand what compassion is better than the followers of Christ. Because we are known more for what we're against than what we are for. 
We don't lead with anger in trying to change laws. We lead with love. Not that we shouldn't try to change our country, but we change it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love first. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so that all these things will be added to us. We seek his kingdom. And I've seen these videos where you just want to sell. I mean, it's, it's people trying to pull people out of the pit, giving people money on sidewalks, all kinds of different stuff. Because people want to be good humans and there's no glory being given to Jesus. My friends, we as followers of Christ have to do better. We have to love well. We have to love more. We have to love people in the middle of their stink. Love people in the middle of their struggle. And help when God calls us to. Because here's the thing. People may hate you because of the gospel of Jesus. People may hate you because of Jesus. But if people hate Jesus because of you, we've got a serious problem. We have a serious problem. We have to be known for our love. Colossians 3.15 says this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, according, uh, called in one body, and be thankful. So how does the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Like really, how, how is it, what's it like to be, peace in the, be at peace in the calm in the middle of a storm? This is something I have to always learn. I'm a worrier. Are there any other warriors in the room this morning? Any at all? Thank you. Warriors unite, okay? I mean, I am a warrior. I worry all the stinking time. I've got to remember that I can have peace in the middle of that worry, though. But let me say this. When somebody says that they're struggling with something, your first words can't be, his peace passes all understanding. That's what we do, though. Somebody's writhing, they're struggling. Oh, well, you can have the peace of God. Oh, come on. That's easy. What's hard is, is grabbing them and holding them and hugging them and walking with them until they see the peace that you say you have. It's easy to just throw words out. It's harder to walk with people. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. We get to walk together. It's one of my deepest honors. Over 20 years, as I look across these people, that I look your, your eyes and your faces. Some of you I just met, but some of you I've known for a long time. And I've had the honor of walking through some deep waters with you. And I'm so grateful. It's not always easy. In fact, it sucks sometimes. But we've seen the hand of God work. We see what he does in real life. And that's the body of Christ when it works right. It ain't pretty all the time. (laughs) Because we're not the ones that's pretty. We're not the ones that's beautiful. It's Jesus. And he makes, he takes beauty from our ashes and gives us strength for fear. Kindness for mourning, peace for despair. And we see that lived out in the body of Christ consistently when we point ourselves at him. And how did Jesus show love? He became one of us. He literally came and spent time. He gave himself. That's how we begin to live 
with peace. That's how we help people see the peace of Jesus. When everything's falling around them, we're just there with them. And we have to remember that this peace is different from anything else we could see. What did Jesus say before he left? John 14, 27 says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My friends, this is his peace, not a peace, not just peace, not the peace of the world, but the peace of God. It's different. It hits different. What does it mean? It's not, it's not a peace we feel when everything is humming, humming along okay. It's wholeness. It's shalom. You know what it really is? It's him. He gives us him. It's his presence in every circumstance. It's knowing that he holds you no matter how strong the wind is blowing, no matter how much the rain is falling, no matter how badly you messed up and the consequences you're currently enduring, no matter what guilt you carry, he is with you and you can have his peace. He offers you himself. Don't walk in here today thinking that if God knew what you did, he wouldn't want you. My friend, he died for you. Don't you ever think you're beyond his forgiveness. Don't you ever think you've done too much to go past his love. He died for you, he loves you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Though you fail a million times, his grace is greater. It's greater. And you need to keep hearing it until you believe it. Because there are some of us in this room that have been around the church a long time and think that you've done too much to get away from God. That is impossible. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And we gather together to remember, to remind each other. For as long as I've been in ministry, I've watched people not put an importance on gathering together. And what I see so many times is that when you don't gather, you walk away from Jesus. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We need each other. It's why God gave us the gift of the church. And it's why we gather. He gives us himself. And finally, in verses 16 to 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another on all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, we can't do this on our own. We just can't. God's word will dwell in you richly as you hear it taught, preached, and discussed. As you read it, both individually and together with other believers, families, other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Teaching and admonishing one another. Helping each other see Jesus. And yes, getting in each other's faces at times. We need to be comforted. Sorry, I'm going to say that right. Comforted. We need to be comforted and troubled by the word of God. I love the quote by Mark Twain. Most people are bothered by those passages of scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I've always noticed that the passages in scripture which trouble me most are those which I do understand. Yeah. See, we help each other see how we can grow and we grow together. And my friends... We worship with music because it is a tool God has given us to worship. I got to tell you, my friends, 
When we come on a Sunday morning, this is a hard one for me because I know not everybody loves music. They may not all love it, but I'm telling you, if a loved one of yours had an illness that was healed, would you shout at the top of your lungs? Most of us probably would. We'd either be in a ball, in a pool, crying, or we would be around dancing, lifting our voice. See, when we forget what we've been forgiven of, our worship is lacking. My friends, when we come in these doors, when we're on a daily basis, when we realize what God has done, we should be moved to worship the King of Kings. And yes, music is a big one. We should lift our voice. We should shout to the rooftops what he's done because we've seen him change us. Music is the window of our souls. And I'm I'm sorry, most of us in this room, I don't know of many people that tell me when they don't hear their favorite song that they can't sing it. And some of you sing in the shower all the time but don't sing anywhere else. Let me remind you, God said bring a joyful noise, not necessarily a good one. But let, let me tell you a little bit of why. I, like, I had this question yesterday. We had, a, we had a, su- a worship summit or a gathering team summit for all of our um, volunteers that are serving, serving the gatherings. And somebody asked me this question. I thought, and I, I'm going to go ahead and address it this morning because sometimes I think we wonder, why is the music loud? Why do we play the music so loud? Why is the auditorium dark? You know, It's not just because we think it's cool. Though those of us that are creative do like creating cool things, right? There's a purpose for it. Here's the thing. If it's like this all the time, and you can see everybody around you, and for those of you that just got up to, or have gotten up to go to the restroom while I talk, it's okay. You're supposed to do that. But you're a little distracted, right? It just happens. It's normal. When somebody gets up, you're like, oh, what's going on? Maybe somebody's moving around. Maybe somebody else is raising their hands, and you're not. It's dark so that you can focus on God, so that you're not distracted by everything else around you. So that you're focusing on the words coming from the stage. Why do you think we have the words up there? It directs your eyes heavenward. There's practical reasons why we do what we do, right? We sing it loud because there's some of you in here that are like, if anybody hears me sing, I'm not saying a word. It's loud so that nobody's going to hear you sing. So you can raise your voice as loud as you want and sound as much like a goose as you are and still praise Jesus with everything you have. Some of us sound like geese. Some of us sound like, what's a uh, uh, canary. That's what, what I'm looking for. And everywhere in between. And God loves the sound of your voice no matter what it sounds like. What father doesn't want to hear their kid's voice? That's why we do those things. You ever have questions about that kind of stuff? Man, we're ready to answer those. That's why we gather. We gather to lift up his name. And music's a big part of that. It's not the only part of it, but it's a big part of it. So the bottom line why we gather is to worship and become more like Jesus. Because what did Paul say last? Whatever you do in word or deed, that kind of covers everything, does it? Everything you say, everything you do, do it for what? The glory of God the Father. We do it for his glory. Everything. Everything. 
You mean when I go out to dinner with somebody? Yep, everything. When you're rooting for the Lions this afternoon? Yep, everything. Whatever that looks like. When somebody cuts you off? Yep, everything. When you are deeply hurt by someone you love? Yes, everything. When you've screwed up more than you think you should have? you can still bring glory to him by how you respond. And we can't learn that by ourselves. It's why we gather. It's why we gather. Hebrews 13, 3.13 says this, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, there's benefits of gathering and serving together. One is it provides encouragement and blessing in your walk with Christ. It also gives you a place to discover and use gifts in ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the bo- and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Some of you in here may think you're a pinky toe. And that's good. We need you. You want to know if you lose your pinky toe, you have to learn how to walk again? We need you pinky toes. We need ears and we need tongues and we need mouths and we need arms that embrace and we need feet that carry the gospel and we need voices that will raise up. We need minds that are creative. We need minds that can write. We need minds that can, that, 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 that can run sound. We need creatives that can play the drums. We need a drummer. All right? We need a drummer. Cam's back there. Go, go, go. We need, we need a bass player. Whatever you do in word or deed, stop using your talents. I mean, use your talents wherever you can, but use them in the body of Christ. There are people in this room that can do some of these things, and you're sitting there, and all you're doing is consuming. Stop consuming, contribute. Stop just sitting on the sidelines. Get involved. Be part of the body of Christ. I don't care what shame you carry. God's grace is greater. Stop being ashamed of what you've done. Stop being ashamed of who you are and take it to the cross. And in the meantime, use how God has gifted you to learn more how to serve him. Stop sitting on the sidelines. Get in the game. We need you as part of the body of Christ. Because if you're not involved, the body of Christ limps around. And we're having to walk without you. We need every single one of us to do their part. Every single one of you is gifted in a way that nobody else in here is. One of the biggest things that that I always pray for, for my older daughter, she'll kill me for saying this, but she sometimes struggles. She'll still tell me sometimes, Dad, I just don't know how God's gifted me. I'm like, honey, you are so gifted. But you got to work that out with God. You got to hear his voice. And you know how she's been learning it? By getting involved. And that's not easy for my older daughter who is a deep feeler and a deep lover, but is very shy. You may not think that when you see Kylie, because some of you know her, but in new situations, Kylie struggles with putting herself out there. But she's been brave this year. I'm so proud of her. Some of us here feel that way. Like you have nothing to offer. Oh, can I just tell you, your father looks at you and he's gifted you. Stop being ashamed. 
because shame ends at the cross. Final thing that we, that we get in the church is we get spiritual protection and the blessing of godly leaders. We hear a lot today about the leaders that fail, don't we? And we can be tempted to think that all leaders in the church are terrible. You know that the media never talks about the churches that are seeking after Jesus? There's a lot more of those. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want to tell you this morning, my goal every Sunday is not to upset you. It's not to make you mad or walk out of here feeling bad. I do want you to grow in Jesus. I want you to grow in him. And so we gather together to become more like him. How does he want you to grow? How does he want you to to dive into the body of Christ? It is an honor to gather with you every single week. It's an honor to worship with you every single week. And I pray that we continue to do it. Again, if any, any questions came up as for why we do some of the things we do, any of that kind of stuff, I would love to answer them. But again, I want to say this. Get off the sidelines. Stop just consuming, coming on a Sunday, kind of like the ants in ants' life, they come, they, or the bugs' life. They come, they eat, they leave. Get involved. And I'll tell you what, as you get involved, that's when you start developing your community. It's really true. You're loved. Don't forget it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the body of Christ, your body, the church, that you've given us to be able to grow and learn and learn how to forgive, learn how to be patient, learn how to love. God, I just pray you would use us for your glory. That as we gather on Sundays, as we gather other times, as we enjoy one another, as we frustrate one another, as we hurt one another, as we encourage one another, God, I pray you would, in all of that process, take away the shame that the enemy tries to lay on us. And Lord, we would understand how much we're loved by you. The peace that you give us. And that we truly can be humble. We can be kind. We can have compassionate hearts. We can be patient. And if we can forgive as you've forgiven us, help us to point our lives at you. for any pinky toes this morning that feel like they have nothing to offer. God, I pray that your voice would be louder than any lies the enemy's trying to sell them. That they would understand how much you love them and how gifted you've given, the gifts you've given them to serve you. I thank you for each one here this morning. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.